Let us pray. God, we approach you this morning in the name of Jesus, the firstborn over all creation. We approach you to ask you for more. We come asking for more and we ask boldly because of the ways that you have made good on your promises from generation to generation that continue to pour out light in this dark world. And we want more. We want more of your light. We want more of your goodness. We ask that you use us this morning as your light in this world. Give us eyes to see times when we need to shine and when we need to shine brightly. In the name of Jesus, amen. Let there be light. Light that shines in the darkness. This is who we are as followers of Jesus. The light of the world. Light that cannot be hidden. We are the light of the world. In the name of Jesus. The story of God at the beginning of Genesis tells of God surveying the darkness and saying, let there be light. And there was light. And it was good. Doesn't it strike you as altogether wonderful that we know of God's goodness from day one, from moment one? Let there be light. There was light. It was good. God looked at it after light, said good. Then John 1 begins the same story years later and retells it in a world still full of darkness. You ever thought about that? When you look at Genesis 1 and you look at John 1, it's the same exact story. God, darkness, light, and there was light. In the beginning was the Word, and when the Word comes into the world, it's into a world full of darkness. So that whenever Jesus shows up and people say, well, how are we supposed to know it's Jesus? The answer is pretty obvious. Light of the world. Inviting us into the story of Jesus on this new day one of the beginnings of the new creation, John 1.5 proclaims, the light shines in the darkness and the darkness has not overcome it. Then, John 1.6 just picks up the story and keeps going. There came a man who was sent from God. His name was John. He came as a witness to testify concerning that light so that through him everyone might believe. He himself was not the light. He came only as a witness to the light. The true light that gives light to everyone was coming into the world. He was in the world. And though the world was made through him, the world did not recognize him. He came to that which was his own, but his own did not receive him. Yet to all who received him, to those who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. Children. Born, not of natural descent, nor of human decision or a husband's will, 
but born of God. The Word became flesh and made His dwelling among us. We have seen His glory, the glory of the one and only, who came from the Father, full of grace and truth. John testifies concerning Him. He cries out, saying, This was He of whom I said, He who comes after me has surpassed me because He was before me. From the fullness of His grace, we have all received one blessing after another. For the law was given through Moses, grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. No one has ever seen God, but God, the one and only, who is at the Father's side, has made Him known. Now, this was John's testimony. When the Jews of Jerusalem sent priests and Levites to ask Him who He was, He did not fail to confess, but confessed freely, I am not the Christ. And they asked him, and who are you? Are you Elijah? He said, I'm not. Are you the prophet? He answered, no. Finally, they said, who are you? Give us an answer to take back to those who sent us. What do you say about yourself? John replied in the words of Isaiah the prophet, I am the voice of one calling in the desert. Make straight the way of the Lord. Now, some Pharisees who had been sent questioned him. Why then do you baptize if you are not the Christ, nor Elijah, nor the prophet? I baptize with water, John replied, but among you stands one you don't know. He is the one who comes after me, the straps of whose sandals I'm not worthy to untie. This all happened at Bethany on the other side of the Jordan, where John was baptizing. We're not the first people to proclaim Jesus. Other than the angels and a few others along the way, the real first proclaimer of the Messiah, that Jesus was the Christ, was John the baptizer. The, the, the announcer that Jesus is the Christ, the Savior. The firstborn over all creation. Isn't that just a wonderful biblical phrase for Jesus? There's all kinds of names. Prince of Peace, King of Kings, Lord of Lords. They're all wonderful. The one I think I like the most today is the firstborn over all creation. Do you know the poem at the beginning of Colossians about Jesus? I know this is a little bit of a tangent, but... It's a really good tangent. So at the beginning of Colossians, this poem about Jesus begins this way. He is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn over all creation. For by Him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or powers or rulers or authorities, all things were created by Him and for Him. He is before all things, and in Him all things hold together. The firstborn over all creation. And the first person to say that about Jesus was another John that we refer to most of the time just simply as John the Baptist. The rest of the story of the story he tells about Jesus is a little later in chapter 3. 
So it's kind of one final setup to the story that I want to share with you this morning that you're all anticipating is a little later in chapter 3, and it begins in verse 22. After this, the this, by the way, is when Jesus has the evening conversation with Nicodemus about being born again, born into a new creation, all right? And that's important. So right after that, Jesus and his disciples went out to the Judean countryside where he spent some time with them and baptized. Now, John also was baptizing at a non near Salim because there was plenty of water and people were constantly coming to be baptized. This was before John was put in prison. An argument developed between some of John's disciples and a certain Jew over the matter of ceremonial washing. They came to John and said to him, Rabbi, that man who was with you on the other side of the Jordan, the one you testified about, well, he's baptizing. And everyone's going to him. To this, John replied, A man can receive only what is given to him from heaven. You yourselves can testify that I said, I'm not the Christ, but am sent ahead of him. The bride belongs to the bridegroom. The friend who attends the bridegroom waits and listens for him and is full of joy when he hears the bridegroom's voice. That joy is mine and is now complete. He must become greater. I must become less. The one who comes from above is above all. And the one who is from earth belongs to the earth and speaks as one from the earth. The one who comes from heaven is above all. He testifies to what he has seen and heard, but no one accepts his testimony. The man who has accepted it has certified that God is truthful. For the one whom God has sent speaks the words of God, for God gives the Spirit without limit. Father loves the Son and has placed everything in His hands. Whoever believes in the Son has eternal life. But whoever rejects the Son will not see life, for God's wrath remains on him. That's how we meet John the Baptist in the water, talking about Jesus, all through these first few chapters of the Gospel of John. This is a little different story than the way we meet John the Baptist in the other Gospels. We know a lot more about the personal life and the things going on in, in John's life, but in John, in the Gospel of John, it's a little bit different. What we hear more of the, the John the Baptist is his message, what he is saying, what he's trying to get across to the people. And this is right after this born-again conversation with Nicodemus, and it's all about anticipating God's future. What's about to happen? What's coming next? The way that John the Baptist saw the future with Jesus, the way that he saw what was about to come, filled him with anticipation. And then what he said along the way was quite simple. He becomes greater, I become less. His message is going to shine like the sun, Mine is just basically set up. I'm here to point the way. I'm here to point the way to say there's something better to come. That is kind of the ultimate way not only to start the Gospel of John, 
but this particular season that fills us with anticipation. We believe, we have faith, we have hope in Jesus, we have a promise of eternal life, and we anticipate what is to come, and it fills us with tremendous anticipation. So I said anticipation about ten times last week during the sermon, and I had a few of you come up to me, I guess that you grew up, earlier than I did and around the same time that I did because every time I said anticipation, you said that you could hear the actor Tim Curry deliver the line that's probably one of the best ways that it's ever been spoken whenever he says, I see you shiver with anticipation. Well, that one got past me. The one that I remember, and Leah brought this up in the office this week, was whenever I was a kid, um, they used to advertise Heinz ketchup on TV. Uh, back when they used to advertise ketchup on TV, <laughs> before it all became pharmaceuticals and car companies, it's, they used to advertise ketchup. And the Carly Simon song, Anticipation, was playing as they did a shot of the bottle of ketchup pouring out, and it just slowly came out, and Carly Simon keeps singing, anticipation and so Leah found a few uh, YouTube is so fantastic you can go back and watch commercials from 1978 and we watched this one and I said that's Corey Feldman you had the actor as a as a little boy in overalls hugging a bottle of Heinz ketchup while Carly Simon sings anticipation and it's funny how whenever you know, we're thinking so much right now about what we're anticipating and what we're looking forward to. And then all these things from our own stories come flooding into our memories and saying, oh, I remember thinking about that word or I remember hearing a song about that. And then everything gets mixed up together. And here we are this morning thinking about what's to come. What's coming next? Because we know something is about to come next. And it leaves us with the question, what do we ultimately anticipate? What is it that we're anticipating? We talk about all of this stuff that God has promised and that John the Baptist is announcing, but what are we anticipating? And kind of the obvious answer is, well, I guess eternal life. That's what we're anticipating, right? No, that's not the story of the Gospel of John. It is eternal life, but John the Baptist in John the Gospel tells the story that when we go with Jesus into the waters of baptism, we have already entered eternal life. It's not something that we wait for. It's not something that we anticipate. We're already there. We're already in eternal life with God. Now, there's still more to come and things are going to happen, and we don't know what it all is going to look like. But here we sit this morning, already in eternal life with God, already participating in this new creation, born anew. And I guess I just wonder, why would we, why would we ever say no to an offer like that? How could we ever possibly say no to that kind of offer? Well, I'll tell you. It's because we want instant gratification. 
and we've been conditioned by the world to live as creatures of instant gratification. We want it now, and we don't want to wait for it. If I have a question, I pull up my little Wayback machine, and I hit the button, and I type in the question, and it gives me the answer I'm looking for. I did it right before the sermon. We were singing Eternal Father Strong to Save, that song, and it was just, I was standing in the back getting ready for the sermon, and it was just making me crazy. Because I thought, that song is in a movie. And that's all I can hear. I can barely pay attention to the words. And they were really beautiful words. I liked, I liked the song, but I couldn't get past. Where have I seen that? And it's in the graveside scenes in the right stuff. When the test pilots, you know, have gotten killed before the Mercury program took off. That's the song that the preacher is singing at the graveside in the right stuff. And you know how I knew that? Boom, there's the answer. We have all this knowledge at our fingertips. We can go to the store within about a five-mile radius of this building and get just about anything we could possibly want. We don't have to wait for anything. And so isn't it kind of absurd that on such a lovely Sunday morning as this and such a just a fantastic season as Advent, that we would come dare preach a sermon from the Word of God and call it anticipation? We don't have to anticipate anything anymore. But we do. Because the thing about it is, whenever you type questions into the Wayback Machine or you drive in a five-mile radius and try to go find whatever it is you're looking for, it's not enough. It's never enough. There's more questions. There's more stuff out there. It just, it leaves us wanting more, and I don't mean to sound morbid on such a lovely morning, but it leaves us kind of empty, because it's not enough. So what are we anticipating? I know eventually it's eternal life. What are we really anticipating? What are we waiting for? See, this is where in the Gospel of John, the invitation to baptism takes full center. It's where we meet John the Baptist while he is baptizing. What is he baptizing them into? What is he promising the people as they step down into the waters with John the Baptist? What is he telling them? He's telling them as sort of a precursor of things to come, what the whole Gospel of John is eventually going to show us. And it's a promise. And it is a promise of abundant life in Christ. So that when the world makes its promises to us and they fall flat, we look at those promises that the world makes to us that fall flat and we say, not necessarily in an arrogant I told you so way, but maybe a little bit in an arrogant I told you so way, and we can look at it and say, I told you so, in the sense that I knew it. I knew it. I knew that this promise was not the be-all and end-all of creation. Instead, 
what the Gospel of John starts to unfold that we eventually get to see is Jesus and Nicodemus right before the rest of the John the Baptist story sitting and having a conversation about being born anew into this new creation and Nicodemus asks you know, a normal question. Well, how is this possible? The person's already grown. How are you going to be born all over again? And Jesus says, you'll find out. And then we go with Jesus through the story until we eventually meet Jesus with two sisters who are grief-stricken at the death of their brother. And then something happens. This dead person named Lazarus is born again. He's born anew. He is the walking, living, breathing embodiment of what the new creation is going to eventually look like. That's the story that we're baptized into. To offer that any of us as followers of Jesus make to others to be baptized into Christ is not a mere church ritual that we do because, well, it's what we've always done. It is, you are invited into the waters that Jesus himself stepped into with John the Baptist and we enter into the new creation. You see, all of this imagery in both Genesis and John about light and darkness is about as simple a set of images as anyone could possibly imagine. If light is present, there's not a thing that the darkness can do about it. Light always overcomes darkness. It's just kind of one of those simple truths. And the same is true of truth. Truth always outshines anything that is not the truth. It's always been that way. It will always be that way. It doesn't always feel that way, but it is the truth. Truth always outshines anything that is not the truth. You ever read the book that they, they used it in business strategies years ago? It's an old Japanese book called The Five Rings. Uh, it's a book where uh, all kinds of proverbs, all this ancient wisdom. But one of the things that he says, I, just, I think it's brilliant. Truth is not what you want it to be. It is what it is, and you must bend to its power or live a lie. Truth is truth. We come in here this morning and we say things like, if light is present, there's not a thing the darkness can do about it. Light always overcomes the darkness. Same is true of truth. Truth always prevails. And so, Let's enter into this new season that God may equip us to participate in what is eternal, what is bigger than ourselves. And let us continue to pray, as we started last week, for ten households that we can share this ever-expanding group of friends in Christ. Because last week we said we have love to give 
in a world of hate. That's why this week we come in here and say we have unity to give in a world of division. I read something by Thomas Merton last week that seems to fit the occasion. It's a little dated in its language, so forgive Merton for being born a long time ago. But I think you can hear the truth. I have the immense joy of being a man, a member in which God Himself became incarnate. As if the sorrows and stupidities of the human condition could overwhelm me, now that I realize what we all are, and if only everybody could realize this, but it cannot be explained. There is no way of telling people that they are all walking around shining like the sun. There is no way of telling people that they are all walking around shining like the sun. I love it when somebody says something like that because it, it feels like a challenge. You know, like he's triple dog daring you to say something in response, and I think that's actually the point. And I think we've already given a response. That's what all this talk about John the Baptist at the beginning of the Gospel of John has been about this morning. There's no way of telling people that they're all walking around shining like the sun, but we'll try anyway. This morning, in a world of division, where we have unity to give in a world of division, we're all walking around in this very room, shining like the sun. We are, in the name of Jesus, the light of the world, and not a bit of darkness can ever overcome that. It can't understand it. It can't overcome it. It can never overtake it. We are, because of what God has made us and what God continues to make us, we are the light of the world. The light shines in the darkness, and the darkness has not overcome it. World without end.